And I stood up and it went like, ding, 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 like Uh-oh. stars. And then everything like started to go black. And it was like, and the show's over. And like literally it was like, what, five minutes before I preached? Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. Uh, I love this. Bowling for Buzzards, your host, Justin Pardee. And I am Stephanie Keene. Please don't eat me. <laughs> and we got the brains of the outfit, Pastor Matt Brown. What does that mean? You'll see later on. Okay. Just go on for the ride. Yeah, well, I'm here at PMB and with our special guest, Tim Timberlake, who reminds us that black is beautiful. Absolutely. Love you. Glad you're here today. Glad to be here. That's awesome. Uh, Pastor Tim was here with us for the panel that we did uh, last week, and uh, that was super, super awesome. Thanks for sticking around, being on the show. Now, listen, every week we take y'all's questions that come up from y'all's the- questions. Did you say y'all because- He's yes. from the South. Yeah, no, Southern draw. Listen, I got. I'm. Fr- I'm technically from Oklahoma. And you are technically you are not from Riverside. Oklahoma. Well, well, yes. <laughs> Sorry, let us both tear down your yeah, actual exactly. background and history. You know what? If anybody wants to write in and leave a five star review for me specifically, it would appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> well, they might if you start telling yeah. the truth about where you're from. Oh yeah, God. we're about being real here. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Here's the deal. We do this show. Every single week, we take your questions. We take you guys' questions from Pastor Matt's sermons. <laughs> that like a real California. From your reading you. as we do uh, the 252 series in Luke and uh, the book of Acts. So we're really excited to jump into Acts chapter 6 today. We got some follow-up and all of that. But before we get into any of those questions, we're super excited to hear some sweet reviews. Stephanie, you got a review from us this time, right? I do. So really great lady in our church came up to me in the lobby earlier and just wanted to say that she loves what we're doing on the debrief. She couldn't quite figure out how to leave and review in iTunes. She also wishes she could re-listen to episodes and having trouble with that too, but she just said we're doing a great job and she was really encouraging. So, so we br- that, that review comes to you from the lady in the lobby and I got a review from a guy in the parking lot and he said, <laughs> I want to leave you a five-star review from the bottom of my heart because I don't listen on iTunes. So listen, mm-hmm. we love those five-star reviews you guys leave However us on However you iTunes. get them to us, yes. we will yeah, well, them. Wait, wait, how does he listen then? Well, he would listen, he probably has an Android uh, mm. We got to pray for him. Yeah, God yeah. rest his soul. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't so, die. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the inside. On yeah, the let's inside. not kill him. <laughs> My goodness, there's enough division in this country. We don't need Apple users killing Android, Android users. users. Sorry about that. Which is well, actually hey, appropriate for our discussion today. We do love, we do love when you guys leave those five star reviews in iTunes because that pushes us up on the charts and it helps other friends and family find us and become a part of this debrief deal. So if you want to leave us a review over there on iTunes. You don't even have to listen to it on your phone. Just find somebody's computer with iTunes. Maybe go to the library, check in, get on a computer, leave us that review. We would appreciate it. Or you can leave us a review on Facebook. Either way, however you do it, makes us so, so happy. Well, hey, let's jump into some questions. We've got some follow-up. Stephanie, you want to kick it off? I do. So another conversation that I had in the lobby this weekend, um, a girl was asking us a question. Well, she was asking you, Pastor Matt, a question about what happens when people are never given the opportunity to know God and then they die. Yeah, so this is a big concern. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on right. the podcast. But, you know, the big concern here is what happens when people die if they've never heard of the name of Jesus. And so I asked answer that question in twofold. The same way that I answered it before is the first thing we need to be concerned about is not their judgment, but our judgment, because we have been called to share the gospel with the nations. Mm-hmm. And so we really not need to be worried about them. We need to be worried about us. Secondarily, what I would say is the gospel guarantees salvation to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that is the guarantee. 
all others will stand before the judgment seat of, uh, of Christ and he will exercise judgment. He is God and he has earned that right. So ultimately their life is in his hands and he can determine their fate. The gospel guarantees forgiveness. And so what, you know, God is good, God is righteous. And in the end, we will all stand before God and we will agree with his judgment. That's what the Bible says, that everyone will declare that the righteous judgment of God is holy, right, and true. So that's a great question and it's a big concern, but that's why we're working so hard to send missionaries to spread the gospel, to tell everybody about Jesus. Awesome. Okay, so we had another couple of questions that were very, very similar, came in from Colin and Dylan, and they uh, wrote in asking about something you shared both in your sermon on Acts chapter 5 and then also in last week's episodes of the podcast when you really talked about this idea of the severity of sin being judged not by the act, but who it is committed against. So let me read you this question. It says this, from an earthly standpoint, different sins have different consequences and seriousness depending on who is committed against. But from a spiritual standpoint, the sin is not dependent upon the victim, but rather the heart issue at the core. Aren't all sins equal to God, since the punishment for sin is always death? Yeah, so I think that's a, that's a great uh, question, and it's really how most Christians view the scriptures. And part of that comes from, I don't know where it originated, but part of the understanding, I think, really came from the navigators and, and the church uh, I'll ask you, I'm going blank. I would call them, they're called crew now. What were they called? Campus, oh, Campus, Crusade. Campus, Crusade. Campus Crusade for Christ, trying to share the gospel. And so that line of thinking came from trying to show people in the Ten Commandments that if they've committed one sin, they've broken them all. Mm-hmm. And so what it was trying to do is, because people would say, well, I'm not that bad. So I haven't committed murder. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And so what they're trying to do is build this case of, but you're guilty of this sin. And so therefore of all sin. And I just don't. I don't. I just don't agree with that approach. Um, what the Bible clearly says is that not all sin is the same. It's all through the law uh, in the Old Testament that there's different types of murder. There's you know the idea of first degree murder, waiting you know lying in wait and killing somebody. Second degree murder. There's a, there's a conflict and um, you know things get out of hand and somebody's killed. There's manslaughter where there's accidental murder. We accidentally kill somebody. Same sin, different result. And so his question is, yeah. I get it that sins are different on earth, but they're judged the same in heaven. And so I just want to draw your attention, and I know we're studying the book of Acts, to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And this is a conversation Jesus has with Pilate, who has the authority to free him. And Jesus says this in 19, uh, verse 11. Jesus answered Pilate. He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had all been given to you from above. He says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you, listen to these words, has the greater sin. And so what he's saying here is, you know, Pilate, you're sinning by condemning me to death because you know that I'm innocent. But those who have plotted, those who have planned, those who have tried to figure out a way to get me to this point, they are more guilty than you are. For those of you who've been studying with us in Luke chapter 12, you remember that Jesus talks about differentiating judgments for those individuals. Uh, One servant in Luke 12 is killed and torn to pieces because of his sin and disobedience. Another servant is just beaten mildly and another servant is cast away. And so we see this, that uh, God is going to dispense judgment based upon our life. The Bible says over and over again, we will all be held accountable for our lives, whatever we did right or whatever we did wrong. For those of us who are in Jesus, we know that we're gonna be forgiven for all that we've done wrong and even for the things that we've done right and didn't do correctly. So. Mm The Bible clearly states that that there's this idea of, you know, all sin is bad. And again, like I said in church, it's like cancer. 
You don't want it, but there are different types of cancer. Some cancers kill you quickly, but eventually, as far as I know, I'm not a doctor, all cancer will kill you if it is left unto itself. And so mm-hmm. sin needs to be seen as a spiritual cancer that needs to be dealt with, but some will kill you more quickly. And uh, I think John talks about that specifically in 1 John, where he says that we should pray for those who are wrapped up in sin, but he says, not sins that lead unto death. This is 1 John 5. Okay. There are some sins that lead unto death and we should not pray for those. Now, unfortunately... He didn't tell us what those are. And that really gave rise to this idea of the seven deadly sins where the church kind of tried to guess Mm -hmm. what they were, but ultimately we don't know what they are. But John indicates the same guy who wrote the gospel of John that recorded that Jesus said, he who has planned this and plotted this is greater of the greater sin. This is is what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And Jesus even tells us, right? Um, that those who uh, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, right? That's a differentiating of sin. He says, you can say whatever you want against me, but if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven in this age, nor in the age to come. And so that shows you right there that there's there's somewhat of a difference based upon what we do. I'm just going to admit to a little ignorance here because we've had these kind of questions come up a little bit, even as we went through Luke and we've talked through some of that stuff. And I'd never really asked these kind of questions to myself. Do you have any sense of why this is maybe difficult for a, a bunch of Christians to process or to accept? That, that all sin is different? Mm-hmm. I think it's because of what we've been trained. Um, there's some things that we just catch. I mean, we, we pick up on things that are not biblical just because people say them over and over and over again. Um, and, and it's just it's just not biblically based. And I, and I don't know why we feel like we, we have to say that. And I think part of it maybe, and Tim can comment on this, is that we don't want to sound too judgmental, but the Bible is very, very clear. You know, sin is all evil. It's all bad. It's all terrible, but it's not all the same. And we even see this in, you know, the accusation of Jesus. And next week, the accusation of uh, uh, Stephen, okay. it's blasphemy. So, and so Jesus seems to, right? I mean, he kind of, uh, attaches himself to that thinking, but he says it's not just blasphemy of God, but specifically of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jews had this understanding that if you blaspheme God, you could um, you be, be killed. But in the New Testament, we see Jesus saying that is also can happen if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So what are your thoughts on that, Tim? Uh, I think when we look at Acts and, and you look at these different questions that people may have about sin, it's a great representation of who Jesus is. He's both a lion and a lamb, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we look at that, he has portions where he's really, really tough, and then he has portions where he's really, really soft. And I think mm-hmm. the gospel is a great example of that. And you know, if we're to be honest, we don't have all the answers as human beings. Some things we won't find out till we get to the other side about right. why certain things yeah. are the way they are. So, yeah. you know. But why do you think it is that Christians, I mean, you've heard Christians say stupid things like, well, saying a lie is the same as killing somebody. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Please lie to me. Don't kill me. Right. Yeah. You know, why do you think Christians say stuff like that? Because don't you feel like it makes us sound a little ridiculous? It, it does. And they've been taught that. Yeah. And so when you relate it to real life, if I steal a pack of bubble gum versus I steal a car, the crime and what I'll be charged with would be completely different. Right. And so I think you have to look at and have to weigh the gospel the same way. Yeah. All, all sin is not the same. Yeah, I think some of that probably comes from our attempts to like simplify things and make it easy for people to understand and find analogies and things. Yeah. Um, even like what you're saying with the navigators and like trying to explain to people like, no, one sin is bad, like just as bad as if you committed all of them. Um, we were having a conversation earlier today about the Trinity and trying to find ways to describe how the Trinity works and exists and how you can't use things like a 
you know, three leaf clover and you can't yeah. use things like, <laughs> well, I'm a daughter and yeah. a sister and all these things. So I think in our attempts to try to simplify things and not just speak directly from what the Bible says, I think that's where it comes to is we try to find these ways to simplify it. And then all of a sudden that becomes our doctrine. Yeah. And so, and so what I would say is all sin is bad. It's all evil. Please understand and hear me. It's all, all for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is a difference. So, so, so that understanding of, of sin in Romans 3, right? The idea of falling short of the glory of God is we're all aiming at the target. Some of us are aiming at the target and trying to do our best and we miss. Some of us are not aiming at the target at all. Some of us are shooting up, down, sideways, the other way, not shoot. I mean, so you just, you just can't equate all of that. And, and I think Christians look really, really, really foolish when we try to say the person in the church who, like you said, stole a pack of bubble gum is the same as the murderer on murderer's row. Right. I, I, just, I just don't think that those are the same things. Uh, and Revelations, um, for example, Revelations uh, chapter 20, verse eight, talks about a list of characters that uh, are going to be thrown into hell. And, and it lists some pretty severe sins. And it doesn't list like, you know, stole bubble gum, but it does talk about <laughs> different attributes. Um, Do you need to confess, Justin? Yeah. Well, I never stole bubble gum, but definitely as a kid, a lot of grapes through that plastic bag in the grocery uh, store. Sampler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't know there was, I didn't know there was a name for Okay, we got one last follow-up question before we get into Acts chapter six. We do, and it actually ties into this. You mentioned uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and uh, Tyler had a question, because Jesus warns very specifically about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's like something that's unforgivable. So how do we know if we've done that? Like, how do you know if you've actually done that? And like, that's one of those sins that's clearly laid out as really bad. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get Tim's perspective on this because we come from um, slightly different theological backgrounds and frameworks in our understanding. And so I'm really curious to hear what he says, but I think it's interesting. So I'm going to answer this question, but think back to last week when Gamaliel gets up and speaks. And so what he says is, as he speaks, and so remember, he's a priest that speaks to the Sanhedrin. So he's not a part of the wealthy ruling class. He's a, okay. he's, a, he's a professor, but he's not a politician. I think that's a great way oh, to yeah. uh, differentiate in our minds. So the politicians have the power, but oftentimes professors have influence. And so Gamaliel gets up and speaks. And so who is he? He disciples the apostle Paul uh, and is you know, ultimately responsible for this genius that teaches us Christian theology. Mm -hmm. But he stands up and he says, remember he says, gentlemen, he talks about all these other movements and all these other leaders that stood up and they died and it ended and nothing happened. And he says, we need to be very careful. He says, if this is of man, it will fail. Mm -hmm. But if it's of God, it will not fail. And remember what he says, and we may find ourselves fighting against God. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what Jesus is saying here is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is standing up and, and looking at the movement of God, the clear cut movement of God, this is what God is doing. And you're saying, this is not of God. This is not of God. And these people are standing up and they're not going to be forgiven in this age nor in the age to come because not only do they deny the work of the Holy Spirit, but they kill those who are being filled by the Spirit and are participating in the movement of the Spirit, which is, and I think it's so great, is the bringing of all nations yeah. back to the worship of the one true God. Um, who is, by the way, I mean, Jesus was a Jew, but God is not Jewish. He called the Jewish people his own so that they would be missionaries unto the nations to reach the nations and bring them back. And ultimately they became inwardly focused and not outwardly focused. And unfortunately as Christians, we tend to do the same thing again. So that's my understanding of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How do you guys understand that in your congregation? Yeah, the same way. And just to piggyback, I, I think um, also when we look at that, God looks at the heart mm. and he looks at the intent of it. And so when there's a hardening of the heart against God and there's a complete refusal, like you said, and a, 
a straight up denial of mm. the power of God, I think that's when it gets into that danger zone of, of blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I would consider it. Yeah. Um, and when we look at divorce throughout the Bible, that's what it reminds me of, kind of that separation between men and God where mm. the line is drawn. Mm. Uh, when you look at a couple and they say, you know, in, in the Bible, uh, the reasoning that a divorce is blessed is only from the hardening of the heart, yeah. where there's that separation yeah. between man and God. And hmm. so I, I look at it kind of the same way, where that heart gets so hard that it refuses the power of God, it refuses the work hmm. of God, and denies the presence of God. Yeah. So think about, um, hmm. you know, for those of you who got to participate last week in our uh, gathering to talk about race. I think that, you know, when we were in the background and we were talking and we we're hanging out with the other pastors and uh, the police chief, I didn't have a sense of what was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But the second that we walked out on stage and we didn't ask people to stand and people instantaneously stood and just, and awkwardly, I mean, there was an awkward period of clapping and yeah. celebrating us. All of a sudden that moment, I realized the Holy Spirit is in this. This is a God moment and it needs to be taken very, very seriously. And um, I just think that we need to be careful as Christians to recognize those moments where God is in the midst okay. and God is present. Um, because what is the ultimate mission of God? To reconcile us to him and us to each other. Yeah. And so he joined us in that place. And what's so sad here is in the book of Acts, it is clear that God is doing something, mm-hmm. that God is moving. And these people are standing up and saying, not only is God not doing this, but you are against God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's so tragic about that is the church is not against God, but the political class of Jews are against God. And Luke is very, very clear all throughout the gospel of Luke and the gospel of, or excuse me, in the book of Acts, he's clear. The people love the church. The leaders hated the church mm-hmm. and the leaders tried to shut down the church. And so we need to make sure that we're careful to understand that. So, Good, good stuff. Well, man, um, we're going to jump right into Acts chapter six. This is really interesting, right? Because we only have... 15 verses. I think this is the shortest chapter we've ever done here on the debrief, but uh, I have no doubt you you guys will be able to uh, fill us up with wisdom. Anyways, we got two two pastors action here. So yeah. let's jump right into Acts. Two pastors three. for the price of one. That's right. Oh, yeah. Only Which one is, theologian though. Yeah. That's Matt Brown. <laughs> so, and, and that price is free. So uh, yeah. you, you guys score it today. All right. Acts chapter six. Let me hit you with qu- this question from verse one. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So can you guys help us understand what is going on between the Greek and Hebrew-speaking believers? Because this seems like racism to me. Um, And if that's the case, it honestly feels really timely to be talking about in light of the things that have been happening in our nation and the panel that we had last week and all those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I mean, obviously God's in charge. God has a plan when we sat down months ago to uh, be talking about, you know, what what we're going to teach for the year. I mean, it's just amazing to me that God knew that we'd be in act six when all of this racial tension is in the world today and the things that are going on. And the reality is, no matter how much you love God, we all have to deal with racism in our hearts. And, and this issue is amongst Jews. We haven't even got to Gentiles yet. Yeah. Okay, we haven't even gotten to the non-Jews yet. Mm-hmm. These are Hellenistic Jews. And so what it means is those Jews uh, in the diaspora that were spread out throughout the, the known world, um, you know, 10 major cities, capitals, where the Jews went all out. And so what happened when the Greeks came in and conquered uh, Israel a couple hundred years earlier, Alexander the Great came in and conquered. Many of the Jews were spread out all over the world. They, they had always been a very, very mobile people, 
But in that, they were spread out all throughout the world. And over time, many of the Jews adopted Gentile culture. And so if you read the book of First and Second Maccabees, we don't have it in our uh, Protestant Bibles, but we, you have it in your Catholic Bible. Uh, it records the story of the Jews being conquered by the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And so there was this real, real tension between those who adopted Greek culture and those who remained true to Hebrew culture. And so Judah Maccabeus is the uh, great uh, Jewish general that fights against Greek oppression. And that's where we get the, uh, uh, the winter uh, holiday of Hanukkah. It celebrates the victory of Judas Maccabeus over the Greeks who had um, really enslaved them and not allowed them to worship freely. Okay. So there's this lifelong tension, century-old tension between the Jews who had adopted Greek culture Got and it. the Jews who remained faithful to the Aramaic culture. And so what's interesting and what's so tragic is in the day and age of Jesus, you would go to a Greek-speaking synagogue or you would go to a Aramaic-speaking synagogue. And so mm-hmm. they were separated. They're, they're separated prior to uh, Christ. And what's interesting is now Christ is risen, the church is preaching, and now Aramaic-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Jews are coming together. Got it. And they're worshiping together, and this is creating tension. Because prior to this moment, they did all of their worship separately. They weren't together. And so now they're together. And what's happening is the minority group, the Greek-speaking Jews, are being left out. Just like in our day and age, right? Minorities tell us they're not being heard. We're not, we're not taking care of them. We're not writing them. And that's exactly what happens here is the group that is lesser numerically is left out. And this brings an opportunity to talk about race in the church. And it's the first time we realize, remember last week, Anais and Sapphira um, were struck dead because they lied. And in, in Acts 6, we see that there's racism in the church. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people wanna stay in Acts 1 through 4 because it's the kumbaya period of the church. I'm like, <laughs> we all just need to get back to Acts 2, Acts 3, and Acts 4. Well, the reality is no church can stay there forever. Sooner or later, you gotta deal with fakers in the church and Isis yeah. and Sapphira, and you gotta deal with racial tension in the church. And this is the great struggle of today. Um, so I wanna take just a, a quick break and not talk about Acts and talk about our current culture. You know, Sundays is the most segregated day of the week in America today. And it's a real, real challenge. And that's why I'm so grateful that we have uh, Pastor Tim here joining us today. And, uh, you know, Tim pastors a predominantly uh, black church in the South. Um, and he's on the front lines of, of, of trying to, you know, heal this. And that's why we're glad for him to come out. But you shared something with me about how hard it is for you to get white people to come to your church. Tell me about that, because I think people need to hear that. Yeah, I, I, it's super difficult. I think it's easier for black people to go to a predominantly white church than it is for uh, white people to transition to a predominantly black church where there's a black pastor. Hmm. I don't know what the logic is behind it. Uh, I know it's super difficult in the South. And uh, you know when you are trying to transition from uh, being predominantly one race of anything, it's super difficult. But when you're in the South, it's even more difficult yeah. because there's so much uh, barriers and so um, much older mindsets about what they've heard and what they've been taught. And not only that, what they've seen, which is the hardest thing. Uh, you know, if it's not slavery, it's what we've seen uh, to be injustice by yeah. how other people have treated other people. And mm-hmm. so just kind of breaking those barriers and then going back to kind of the history of why church is segregated. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing this with you uh, last night mm-hmm. over some good pizza. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the black community, a lot of times the only day that was held sacred was Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times black people, they they take great pride in dressing up. They take great 
pride in putting on their, their what we call Sunday's best because at one point in time, that was the only day that they could kind of get out of their rags and, yeah. and out of their you know uh, work attire to go to church. And so um, when, you, when you really think about it, that one day they didn't have to work uh, for their slave masters. They didn't have to yeah. work for the man, but they could go worship together. And so a lot of times we take that and we hold it sacred. And so kind of breaking that mindset breaking those barriers down. It's challenging. It's tough. But I think we're in a season where it's needed more so than ever before. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why the church remains segregated mm-hmm. because it is tough. Yeah, It is difficult. I was in the South um, uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and we went to church, my grandparents' church. There was not one person of color in the entire church. And I don't mean black people. I mean there was no color. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I felt like I had landed on Mars. I could not believe Because in California, we don't go anywhere where there's just white people. I mean, you know, um, I, I can't think of a place. And we went to church, and there's hundreds of people in this church. I mean, it wasn't like it was four. Yeah. Hundreds of people, and they were all white. And I was like, this is weird. Like, it felt so weird for me. And uh, that's sad because, like I said, the gospel is God reconciling his relationship with us through faith in Christ, and then Christ helping us through the power of his spirit, reconciling relationships with each other. And the church has, has historically done such a bad example of, of making that happen. And, and ultimately, it's hard. It's hard to take people of the same ethnicity, Jews, but one speaks Aramaic, the other speaks Greek. It's hard. They're the same race, yeah. the same ethnicity, but they have a different culture. And so they can't figure it out. And so what they decided in Judaism was we'll just have different synagogues and we'll have different days where we, where we do our holidays and we do our stuff. And, and it's sad. And they both have a passion for the Lord. And so what we need to do is we just need to remind ourselves that we got to push through this. I think one word separated them then and one word separates us now, and that's preference. Yeah. You, you know, and so when we can get past and beyond our preference to um, really what is needed mm-hmm. to bring unity I think we'll start seeing growth. And so I think it's the same thing then. You know, you have people that speak differently. It's preference. Yeah. And, and you have people who worship differently now. That's preference. And yeah. so that that preference has to be kind of placed on the shelf and say, you know, this is what's needed for not just our church to grow, but church big C to grow. And so the body of Christ can be unified. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's why it's been so hard for uh, us as white Christians to be sympathetic mm-hmm. to what the black community is saying. And black Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ are saying, hey, we're being profiled. Hey, we're being picked on. Hey, we're not getting a fair shake. Hey, there's not justice here. And I think part of the problem is for the white community is because we're not in relationship mm-hmm. with the black community. And we're separated on the one day when we should be the most intimate. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know black friends and we're not hearing in small group what's happening to our black brothers and sisters. And we're not seeing what that's happening. And so you know, we're ignorant, but it's, it's, it's a forced ignorance based upon our separation. And so what we need to do is come together. Um, and just like in Act 6, they got to deal with this. We yeah. got to deal with it in the church. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying this issue is ever going to go away, but what we need to do is not sin in the way where we, we pretend it's not real. Mm-hmm. And we need to deal with it like they had to deal with it here. Hey, we're not going to be able to move forward for a second because, you know, as you just talked about how difficult it is for you as a pastor to try and get white people to come and sit underneath your church, man, just the Holy Spirit is reminding and convicting me of some sin against you personally that I did, man, when Pastor Matt first invited you <clears throat> to preach here at our church, like last year and a half ago or something like that, man, I was so skeptical about that because I thought, 
I know, I know what black preachers are like, you know, it's all pomp and circumstance and not a lot of realness in there. And I was so skeptical about you, man, uh, in a way that I never have been with anybody else that Pastor Matt has said he was going to bring, uh, to come in and guest speak. And I was even skeptical of you through that weekend. Um, I'm sorry, man, you brought some really good truth to our church. Then even last weekend, when you were at the panel, I just was like, praise hands. Every time you were talking, I feel like I learned so much about myself and uh, even here in this context, man, I totally was sinning against you in my own like subconscious r- racist ways. And uh, I, I really want to apologize that. I'm so honored uh, that you've been loving and serving on our church like this. I'm mm-hmm. grateful for the relationship you got with Pastor Matt. I'm, and I'm just sorry for that, man. And I can't even imagine what it'd be like for you to try and pastor a whole bunch of church and, and reach a community of people just like me with that level of skepticism. So I'm going to be praying for you in that way on a regular basis, man. Thank you. Uh, Just to kind of give some input there, you know, all of us deal with those same things, you know, and so we have to come to a place where, uh, as I was sharing with last week, where we really just judge our heart and really get those impurities out. And uh, one of the quotes that I have, um, you know, written down is, we can't live by our situation, but we have to live by our revelation. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at the Bible and we hold that as our mirror, instead of looking at, our situation as kind of our guide, then we we really get truth and we really get transparency to move beyond uh, race and really move towards what's really important, and that's the face of Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, yeah I appreciate you, bro. Yeah, yeah, appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate your authenticity. I'm always wowed by your uh, yeah your authenticity. So thank well, you so much. Well, there's room for it when you got a lot of issues. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know you got issues. We, we love you. He's like our church mascot. <laughs> like it. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. Um, man, okay. it's hard to like move on from that because I feel like we could talk about that forever and I want to. Um, I noticed something in this verse too, um, just the initial complaint that kind of brings up these racial tensions in the church is about you know, distribution of food among widows. Mm-hmm. And that just sort of puts that out there like it's an understood thing, but what was the church's responsibility to care for widows back then? And what's the expectation for us to do that now? Because we don't have like a food distribution for widows at Sandals Church. Yeah, right. So it gets a little it gets a little muddied for us now because back then they didn't have government agencies that did this. And okay. so your care was dependent upon your religious affiliation and your ethnic affiliation. So the Romans, right, the Romans let you die. That's that's a you problem. That's the way the Romans saw that. And, and they did not take care of the Jews in that way. And so um, what separates... Judaism and Christianity apart from so many religions. I mean, other religions have, you know, even Islam and, and uh, uh, Buddhism has this understanding that you're to care for the poor. But there are other countries in the world where you see just an absolute neglect of poor. You see this in Hinduism, mm-hmm. uh, where there's just this idea of this, look, man, there's a, there's a divinely uh, given class system. God has uh, made you this way, and so therefore I don't need to do anything. That is not the God of the Bible. No, The God of the Bible says that classes are of our making, uh, that races and, and racial prejudice is, is a problem that we've created. It's not a part of his heart. He is the creator of all mankind. He, he loves us all. And so God clearly communicates really three things in the, in the Old Testament, that's the Jewish Bible, that you are to care for the widow because she has no voice. Mm-hmm. She has no vote in the community. And you are to care for the orphan. So the or- orphan has lost one or both parents. Mm-hmm. And you could qualify as an orphan if only your father died. So you qualified for mm-hmm. that ministry. 
And then thirdly, if you were poor. And typically the reason that you were poor, I mean, it's like God has to say it three times. Right. The reason that you're poor is because you don't have a man in your family who can work and provide for you to take care of you. And so it's like God has to say it three different ways yeah. to take care of those who do not have a voice for themselves. And look, you know, we can be critical of, you know, Judaism's rejection of Christ here, but the reality is they were very, very faithful in many other areas. And one of the areas that they were faithful was caring for the widows. Now, what what, what created the challenge here is is so many, so many Greek-speaking Jews came to um, Jerusalem. And the reason they would do this was because their husbands were of age and there's this Jewish desire. I mean, even, um, I don't know if you... Um, uh, one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. Did you guys see Braveheart? Absolutely. I love Braveheart. Love so you it. remember the the, uh, the Scottish king? Mm-hmm. He's a real historical character. Well, his dying wish was that his body would be buried in Scotland, but his heart would be buried right. in Jerusalem. Yeah. And I've actually stood over where his heart is buried in Jerusalem. So there's this desire, right, for, for so many people who worship the Lord to be buried in uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And yeah. so what these old Jewish guys would do is they would, as they got old, they would, you know, pilgrimage, to Israel to die in Jerusalem. Well, that's great when you die, but what happens to your wife, who now has no voice, is not by her relatives, isn't surrounded by friends. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is there's this overwhelming need to take care of Greek-speaking Jewish widows. And so there's a frustration, right? There's a tension level there. Um, Just like, you know, what we're hearing with, um, uh, you know, in the Donald Trump camp, right? You got to stop immigration. What, what, whether that's a racist remark or not, what's happening? There's a lot of Hispanics coming and people are saying, hey, there's only so much. Mm-hmm. We got to do something about that. And some people say, you know, we, we got to continue to open the borders. Other people have their opinions. Nonetheless, what I'm saying is this is a human condition that exists to this day. And so the Aramaic speaking Jews are saying, hey, look, this is our home. You guys came here. Go back. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> go back, right? Well, they can't go back. They don't have the money to go back. They, 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 you know, their life is here and they need to be taken care of. And what I think is amazing here is the apostles who are full of the Holy Spirit realize we got to take care of all of Christ's followers. Mm -hmm. And so Acts 1.8, right? He says, you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea. Now it's interesting that God divides Jerusalem and Judea because it's really like saying the same thing twice. And what I think he's saying here in Acts 1.8 is happening here is you're going to reach first the Jews who are here. And then you're going to reach the Jews in Judea, the broader Jewish people that are spread out throughout the empire. And this is the first fulfillment of that. They're here. These, these are the Judean people. You're the same people, but they live apart from you. They live separate from you. But this is the gospel beginning its first work in bringing ethnicities together. And it starts with culture. It starts in the context of Jews. But then it's going to go to Samaria, uh, Samaritans. When we read Philip goes to Samaria, mm-hmm. he gets driven out. Then it's going to go to the Gentiles with Cornelius in Caesarea in um, Acts 10. So this is the beginning of the fulfillment of the gospel. And isn't it amazing? that God uses a problem to bring about his will. Yeah. Mm. And so maybe one of the things that we have to think about in our church is, what if all of this ethnic tension is the work of God yeah. to bring us back to our mission because we've forgotten that racial reconciliation is the vision of God, it is the work of God, and we cannot do it without the help of God. And so he is getting us back involved. I mean, I think it's no accident that Martin Luther King identified himself not as doctor, but he identified as himself as pastor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, when you look at his life, his calling was to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And ultimately he felt that calling led him to help free black people from racism 
in America and segregation. And so that for him was a natural outgrowth. And I think that we need to look at that in the book of Acts, that the book of Acts is this gospel spreading to all nations, to all colors, to all peoples, because all people have value to God. Absolutely. And he loves them all. And so, um, you know, I certainly don't think that God wants all of these people to die. Black lives matter to God, and so do police officers' lives. But sometimes God has to bring suffering to get us back to where we need to be and allow that to happen. And so I certainly think as the church, we need to wake up. Well, that was a lot from just verse number one. <laughs> We're gonna keep Welcome to the debrief, Tim. It's a, it's a good thing. I don't know I'm why we call it, it brief. Brief should I'm not be anywhere it. in this. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing we only have 16 verses or 15 or whatever it is. All right, so verses two through four uh, go like this. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So this really stuck out to me because I think a common perception of your responsibility here as pastors and leaders in the church, both from people within our church and you know even outsiders looking in at a church, is that you guys should be ministering to the church and the community really in the ways that Jesus did, right? But what we see here is that the apostles are almost actively distancing themselves from that kind of a thing so that they can spend more time on preaching and, and prayer. Mm. D- did they get that right? Or Yeah, absolutely. And I got to be honest with you, as, as a Christian and as a pastor, I really struggled with their decision for years hmm. because I'm a hands-on preacher. Mm-hmm. I care about my people. I do. I care about their lives. I care about what's going on. And for years and years and years, I involved myself in the day-to-day suffering of our people, trying to solve it. And um, God really, really had to convict me of that in two ways. Is number one, I need to focus on what only I can do. And my job is to lead and teach this church. And and I'm the only person that can do that until God calls someone else. And so I am sinning against God and this church when I don't do that. And number two is I'm not allowing others to step up and use their gifts. And so what I want you to see here is the whole church. I want you to notice the wisdom of the apostles. This is a church problem. They don't go off into a group of 12 and decide. He says they call everybody together. The Greek-speaking Jews and the Aramaic-speaking Jews. And they all come together and they say, this is a problem. And so, you know, part of the uh, explosive growth of Sandals Church is as I have turned ministry over to others and focused on my prayer life and my study time and my growing, the church has grown. Mm-hmm. When I don't do that and I'm not studying and I'm not spending the time in the word, the church has suffered. And so, you know, what people want from me is they want me to not do what God has called me to do so that I can minister to them. And, th- and my heart's desire is to do that. The problem is, is it renders the church dysfunctional Yeah, because they want me to counsel. They want me to pray with them. And I get it. They identify with me. They know me. They follow me. I understand that. But every believer needs to come to the book of Acts and they need to say, do I want the church to be about me or do I want to be the church to be about reaching the lost? And here's the decision. If you want the church to be all about you, it has to remain small. And this is why people say all the time, Tim, they tell me, well, I want to go to a small church where I know my pastor. Now, there's nothing wrong with small churches, Mm -hmm. except for that many of them remain small because the people won't let the pastor go. And they won't let him do what God has called only him to do. And so what they're doing is they're sinning and it's, it's tragic. And they need to focus on teaching and preaching and praying and saying, God, where are you leading us and what are we doing? And they need to do that. And really, oftentimes, what people are struggling with is not the growth of the church, but selfishness, and that's sin. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you when you look at what these apostles 
the model they created and um, how we don't utilize this in any other area of our life. In logic, when we want the pastor to do everything, mm-hmm. we don't go to a doctor and expect our mechanic to come in and say, okay, well, let yeah. me work on your heart, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We will be freaked out of our mind. We don't mm-hmm. go to a dentist and say, mm-hmm. all right, let's have this basketball coach fix our teeth. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when we look at what the apostles have laid out, I, I look at four things that they did when they look at the ministry of the word. Uh, the ministry of the word is the ministry to study. It's the ministry of prayer. It's the ministry of suffering through the word, and it's the ministry of joy. Hmm. And so when we consider that, it's not these apostles trying to be all things to all people, but it's them running in their lane that God had ordained mm-hmm. for them and operating in the grace that Jesus set upon them. Mm-hmm. And when we realize that, it not only provides peace, but it provides longevity for pastors such as uh, myself and Pastor Matt to mm-hmm. continue to run this race as long as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because ultimately the people that that love you and want to be with you will kill you. Yeah, and and, and they'll smother you because <laughs> they feel like they need they need their time. And and so um, that's just that's just so absolutely important that we understand that. Look, I can't do it all. I can't be everywhere all the time. I need to do what God has called me to do. Tim needs to do what God's called him to do, and and, and that's just um, that's just that's the bottom line. What I also want to bring up here, what a lot of people miss, is you know, there's a lot of talks and well, how should churches be organized? Mm-hmm. I want you to notice here. There's no word elder here. There's no word episkopos. None of those words. And everybody talks about we got to get back to the original structure of the church. And people argue about this. What I want you to see here is the church is punting. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. The church has grown, and what they're saying is we can no longer lead the way we've been leading. Listen to this. We've got to change. Yeah. This is the apostles saying. We have to change the way we do things. And so the church needs to be fluid in its leadership so that it can meet the challenges that it faces. And so it's so sad to me that the church is trying to say, well, how was the church led 2,000 years ago to deal with the issues that was dealt today? Because in Acts 6, what they're saying is, they're not asking, how did Moses do this? Right. They're saying, how do we need to do this? Yeah. What would the Spirit of God challenge us to do? And so they are now looking for men full of the Spirit. And then they list some qualifications hmm. in order to help them you know, carry out this ministry. And so I just want every person that says we need to be elder-led, pastor-led, deacon-led, membership-led, congregational-led, whatever word that you use, we got to have a priest, got to have deacons. I want you to see here that it's fluid. Yeah, It's fluid. They're led by the Holy Spirit. They're led by leadership. Right now they're called apostles and they're gonna appoint some men. Uh, and they're not called deacons. They do deaconry. You know, I mean, in the, in the Greek, it's the word deacon. We would use the word minister. Mm-hmm. And so in English, the verb of minister is ministry, like you're doing ministry. And so they do, the, they do ministry, but they're not called ministers here. And so I just think it's important that everybody goes to this and says, okay, the church needs to remain fluid and flexible so that we can meet the needs of the growing congregation. When your church isn't growing, you can get super specific about, you know, being completely biblical, whatever that means about your leadership structure. Because what that means is you got so much time that you can do that. But in a growing church, you you got to do what it takes Mm -hmm. to meet the thousands of people that are coming to Christ and the lives are being changed. And this is a model for church growth. Absolutely. Which is God's heart. I, I think they define what true leadership is. You know, in a lot of leaders' mind, they think true leadership is me having a bunch of people follow me. But mm-hmm. true leadership is raising up other leaders yeah. around you that can handle and carry out the things that you're not gifted to carry out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. And so uh, when we look at these apostles, they realize their limitations, mm-hmm. and then they recognize the grace that God had given other men uh, around them to carry those things yeah. out. 
And because of their decision and humility to not have to do everything, the gospel goes forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think absolutely they got it right. Cool. Absolutely. Cool. Okay, so we're going to read that, uh, who, who it is that they picked. Verses 5 through 7 uh, says, Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Pumbaa, Herminus, <laughs> and Nicholas of Antioch. These seven were presented to the apostles, who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So... Going back to the problem at hand, it was about distributing food, which seems like a pretty simple thing to figure out. And I don't know why you would need to lay hands on people, select like, you know, men who are, you know, full of faith to distribute food. Is there more at stake here? Or should we be thinking way more into the people that we're bringing on board to carry out just the simple day to day life of the yeah, church? Yeah, I, I think every position in the church is essential and important mm-hmm. and, and, and everything. It doesn't matter. You know, if the person who answers phones at Sandals Church is not full of the Spirit, um, then they're full of someone else, something else, and that's mm-hmm. a problem. And so we constantly need to look for God's uh, filling and God's blessing. But yeah, there's more going on here. I mean, a couple things are happening here. Luke is trying to tell us about a problem the church faced, but he's also got to introduce two characters, Philip and Stephen, who are going to begin growing the church. And so this is the tool that he uses, right? I mean, there's all kinds of stories that he could have used. This is the story that he uses to introduce these two guys. And so what I think he's saying here is these two guys started in ministry with a simple task of taking care of widows. But ultimately what's going to happen is because of their willingness to do anything, and and, and here's how they're full of the Spirit. It doesn't matter what the task is, they want to serve God. Hmm. And that's the number one way you can say whether somebody's full of the Holy Spirit or full of themselves. Because people who are full of themselves want the most important tasks. People who are full of the Spirit say, put me anywhere mm-hmm. and I'll serve. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's so amazing. And what makes Stephen and Philip so powerful and these other guys is they're like, we don't care where we serve. We just want to serve Jesus. And so they're full of the spirit, they're full of power. And these guys pray over them and lay hands because what they're doing is they're transferring their leadership to these guys. They're saying, trust these guys, listen to these. You don't need to go around them. You know, the disciples, the apostles don't want to get mom and dad. You know what that is? Yeah. So what, what kids will do is, mm-hmm. They go to dad, they don't get their answer. Right. So then they go to mom. Yeah. And so they don't they don't want that to happen here. They're saying, No, 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 no. These guys are dad. There's no there's no higher form here. You can't go around them. These guys have the spirit of God. We are placing our authority on them. And they have the authority to run this ministry mm-hmm. and do this work. So if there's a complaint, don't come to me. You come to these guys because we have placed them in charge. And so these guys are given real authority to make real decisions and real mistakes. And that's another thing we need to do as pastors is we can't just put people in authority, but take their legs out from under them. We yeah. have to actually give them decision-making power. Yeah. Um, so in verses 8 through 10, uh, we start to get to know Stephen a little bit more. And it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Stephanie, I just got to give you a tip. When you're reading all these weird words and we mm-hmm. don't know how to pronounce them like the pastors do, mm-hmm. just be confident. You're just right, be, you're that's, right. That's what I, yeah. I was just trying to let everyone Cilicia. know. I don't really know how to there say is, it either. Yeah. Just for the record, there is no Pumbaa in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in case you guys are wondering, yeah. you're like starting so, to Google so stuff right now. You had now. a little too much confidence there. Yeah. He was and, the eighth uh, one. He was just looking for yeah. the opportunity yeah. the to yeah, bring in some Lion King references. Pumbaa is like my spirit animal, guys. It's had to Okay, now listen. Stephen is here like doing miracles. 
And now he's getting like basically arrested. Although this is crazy. Listen, wasn't he just chosen to distribute food? And now all of a sudden he's out here doing this incredible work that seems so much bigger than just handing out yeah, bread so baskets. I, I think with a casual reading of the book of Acts, what you think is on Tuesday, he's prayed over and put it in the food ministry. And then on Saturday, he's standing up preaching. There's probably a period of time here where he's serving, he's growing, he's learning. So, you know, the book of Acts is covering four decades. And so time is flying by here. So this has probably been five years, around five years, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this, the church is five years old. Think about that, it's five years old. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly how much time, but I don't think it's a week or two. So there's a process from which Stephen goes from this uh, person distributing food to this powerful preacher. And it's just a continuance of the, of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and power. What's amazing here is this is the greatness of God. So not only does just Jesus do miracles, but the apostles do. Mm-hmm. Now, not just do the apostles do miracles, but all those who are full of the Holy Spirit and of grace. I mean, it's just so amazing. And uh, we need to pray with this power. We need to preach with this power. We need to love each other with this power because all of this is in all of us. And it's just absolutely amazing that Stephen can do the same works that Jesus did and the same works that the apostles did. I mean, he is, right, chosen for a food pantry ministry. Yeah. And now all of a sudden... He is the greatest preacher the church has. I mean, his speaking ability has now surpassed Peter because he's taking the platform to defend the gospel. And what's amazing is nobody can stand against him. Hmm. You know, nobody. So when Peter preaches, remember they said, we can see that these guys had been with Jesus, but they're unlearned men. Hmm. They don't say that about Stephen. Right. This guy yeah. is smoking smart. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, this guy, I mean, they don't, they don't know what to do with him because he's <laughs> just turning them into theological pretzels. <laughs> I never heard anybody say smoking smart before, and I, I was wondering where. I was do, just spending some time. Thinking where do about I get that. some of that? And is it a sin to smoke smart? <laughs> some smoke some smart. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Just, okay. Um, they mentioned that verse, the synagogue of freed slaves. That seems like a very specific name. Are th- was this a church of actual freed slaves? Or? Yeah, some of them were. So this is probably a super uh, militant, passionate um, Jewish group that were slaves at one time. They'd either er- earned their slavery or they'd been set free by Romans. Um, you know, we're not sure exactly how they became free, but at some time they were slaves. Uh, when the when the Jews were conquered by the, the Maccabeans, uh, excuse me, when the Jews were conquered uh, by the Greeks, many of them were sold into slavery, and, and that happened. And so some of these individuals over time have uh, earned their slavery. They've been set free. Something happened, but somehow they were slaves, and now they're free. And they're you know they're passionate about this, and they're super super um, a militant group within Judaism. Uh, probably Zionists, um, certainly zealots. What, is, know, what does Zionist mean? Zionist means uh, this desire to see Jerusalem in a physical state, to see Israel have a uh, a real kingdom, not just a spiritual kingdom. So Zionists, uh, for example, in Europe, moved from London, France, Germany to Israel because they believe that Israel doesn't just need a spiritual kingdom, but they need a physical kingdom. And so the Zionists moved first, then after World War II, um, when we found out what happened to all the Jews, they decided, you know what, everybody needs to get behind this and help okay. Israel have a kingdom. And so Got the it. Zionist movement is a movement, a patriotic movement for a literal country of Israel, not just a spiritual country. Because you can be, you know, call yourself an Israeli or a Jew and not be a part of the mm-hmm. physical country, but it's this desire for a physical land and, and for them to control their own destiny. Got it. Okay, so verses 11 through 12. 
Stevens arrested, says they persuade some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme uh, against Moses, even God. They rouse the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. They have him arrested and brought before the high council. And what do these guys have against Stephen that would cause them to pick this kind of fight and get him arrested? Yeah, the bottom line is they're losing authority with the people. Every single movement against Jesus is a movement of jealousy. Mm-hmm. And so these people are upset. We don't have the spiritual authority. We don't have the spiritual power. What, what Christianity is doing is it's, it's unsettling the way things were. And so now, all of a sudden, people aren't going to them for wisdom. They're not going to them for help. Man, you don't even have to go to them for food anymore. Mm-hmm. You can go to the Christians, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what's their relevance anymore? And so they're losing power. They're losing prestige. Okay. They're losing authority. And they're upset because everybody is running to Jesus. I mean, where would you go, right? You can go to the traditional um, government agencies for help, or you can go to the people who heal people, Yeah, right? I mean, where are you going to go? You're not going to run to the government-run hospital. You're going to run to these Christians that pray over crippled people and they walk. Yeah, That's what's going to happen. And so there's this, this just mass movement of Jews shifting away from the corrupt Jewish leadership and shifting to the apostles' leadership uh, I mean, they're, they're, remember last week, Acts 5, they're terrified of him, but they still want to be around him. They want to hear him preach because Ananias and Sapphira, they found out, drop dead. So the Sadducees kill people. The apostles don't do anything, but God kills people. So who's more powerful? The one who has to wield the sword to uh, demonstrate God's will and power or the one who just says words and people die? I mean, people know where the power of God is and it is not with the establishment. It's with this minority group, these Christians. And so... There's a real unsettling here, and there's a real uh, movement to try to block this, just like we've seen in the Republican and Democratic parties, both sides. You had the Bernie Sanders movement that ultimately was blocked by Hillary Clinton, the Mm -hmm. establishment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even though he was winning more and more votes, he still lost because they they blocked him. And then you had the Donald Trump movement where the Republican establishment tried desperately to block that. And, And whether you like him or not, he was an outside movement, and that was trying to be squashed. And so... Um, that's what's happening here. The traditional powers that be are trying to stop this up-and-coming movement, and ultimately they're afraid of losing political power. Got it. Uh, So the last verse here um, kind of wraps up what's happening with Stephen in the high council. It says, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. That, That got weird. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. What's going on there? Uh, how do I get my face to shine like an angel? Yeah. Well, I think he looked a little shine like Tim Timberlake. Like I think that's what happened. Yeah, that's quite oh, yeah. possible. Yeah. Tim Timberlake is glorious. So. <laughs> We've actually rearranged our seating so that Matt can stare at Tim's face this Into whole time. the eyes of Tim. It's exactly. reciprocated. It's weird for all yeah. of us, I think. Yeah. No, I think what's happening here is, uh, is um, for a Jewish person, you're thinking of Moses. Mm-hmm. So when Moses encountered God, mm-hmm. his face changed. Yeah. Stephen is speaking for God and his face has changed. And so here's what's amazing. Let's go back to the idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the presence of the Spirit there, but now there's physical manifestations. Think about the transfiguration. Mm -hmm. Jesus' body changed. So now there's not just spiritual evidence, but there's physical evidence God's doing something. And so what it shows you is like what Tim was talking about is the hardness of the human heart. No matter what God does, no matter how powerfully this guy preaches, no matter what miracles he gives, no matter how his face changes, I mean, his face shone like an angel. I mean, right, brightness and glorious. I mean, something happened here that was just powerful that Israel had not seen in mass since Moses. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting? They're saying he's trying to teach that we shouldn't listen to Moses. And what does God say? Right. You need to listen to this guy like Moses. Yeah. 
because he is speaking on behalf of the new Moses, Hebrews says, which is Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's a change in the law. There's a change in authority. There's a change that's coming. The way you relate to God, you no longer relate to God through animal sacrifice. You relate to God through the sacrifice of my son, Jesus Christ. And so Stephen has had this encounter and he's probably gonna preach the greatest sermon ever preached, which we're not gonna get into this week. We're gonna get into next week, but it's a long sermon. It's a powerful sermon where he basically summarizes the whole Bible. I mean, in one sermon, I mean, that's legit. I mean, he does in one sermon with no notes, he just speaks and it's incredible. And so, um, and I, you know, I just, I, that's what I hope. I hope when people, you know, not that my face would change like an angel, although my wife would probably appreciate that. A little facial change. Um, she's always trying to get me to put essential oils on it to help handsome it up. But my hope is that when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, that people would see the face of Jesus in me, yeah. a face of compassion, a face of love, that people would be drawn to that. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, I always joke at Sandals Church that people say they love Jesus. And I say, well, then tell your face because it didn't get the message. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing here is Stephen's face got the message. Yeah, <laughs> He knows who he represents and to whom he speaks of. And um, he can't help but be glorious. And uh, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, ultimately he's gonna lose his life yeah. for this sermon. Um, you know, because they warned him, they flogged him, now they're gonna start killing him. And, uh, and this is what the church has endured. The church has endured great loss so that all of us could know Jesus. And um, I think we all need to be so thankful for the apostles, for guys like Stephen, for men and women whom we don't even know their names, but we'll meet them one day in heaven, mm -hmm. who died so that we could live forever. Hmm. And we need to be grateful for that. Um, because without them, we wouldn't be here. You know, we're not just saved just because of the work of Jesus. We're saved because of the work of Jesus and the work of his church sharing about yeah. the work of Jesus. That's good. Hmm. And so we need both of that. Because if we don't hear the gospel, Romans 10 says we can't be saved. We've got to hear yeah. the gospel. We've got to hear the good news so that we can respond to it. And the only way we do that is when men and women are willing to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to us. And so um, I'm grateful to Stephen. I'm, I'm named after him. My father is named after him. It's my middle name. I am Matthew Stephen Brown, and I'm honored to carry his name and uh, hopefully to carry on his legacy of preaching um, because it's a powerful legacy. Hopefully I'll live a little longer than he yeah, did. Let, let's, let's yeah, let's not yeah. go too far with yeah. it. We don't want you getting killed over the yeah, gospel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is good. Pastor Tim, you got any closing commentary for us as we wrap up this time of uh, Acts chapter 6? Yeah, just kind of piggybacking off what my brother said, um, that Stephen got it and his face changed, but also the way people viewed him changed. Mm -hmm. They no longer viewed him as just somebody that worked and served food. They viewed him as an apostle that carried the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think uh, for us now in this day and time, if we uh, can get beyond how people look and listen to the grace and the anointing mm -hmm. that's on people's life, uh, then not only will we see the change in them, but we'll see the change in us as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, you're great. We love having you tune in for the show. If you've got questions for us, head on over to our Facebook page. You can send us a message. You can drop a comment on this episode. Of course, we love it when you guys help us spread the word about the show. And uh, you can do that either through Facebook, through the iTunes store, dropping reviews, uh, you can grab some of the quote images we've been putting up on our Facebook page, share them on your Instagram accounts, whatever it is you want to do, guys. We love your help getting the word out about the debrief. And as always, we're going to close out this show from some wise words from Stephanie Keen. Here she is with that inspirational quote. Uh, this week, we've got what we do in life echoes in eternity.
Which isn't from me. I think it's from a movie. Yes, it is from the greatest movie of all time, The Gladiator. Mm. Yeah. And you know, I, I actually it. named my dog Maximus after seeing Gladiator. Oh. I actually have that tattoo on my arm. Do you? Yeah. No way. Are you serious? Yeah. Look at this. Put my dad's face on it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get Tim to tattoo my face on him, but he yeah. won't do it. I'm trying to break down racial yeah. racial walls. Racial reconciliation at its finest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, I suggest you don't do that, man. Yeah. Just keep yourself looking all right. That was my wife's suggestion as well. <laughs> <laughs> if not Justin, let's go with what your wife says. 